You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, I'm sharing my conversation with Chloe Robinson, the DJ formerly known as Barely Legal. I am seeing it as a fresh slate in terms of how people perceive what I play. For the last four years, I feel I've definitely just been playing like much more sort of techno and electro and that kind of sound. And it's quite hard for people to know kind of what I play because I've kind of gone from one sound and one world to another. So uh, I feel like my old name is heavily associated with bass music and I'm hoping that I will be on lineups that are more appropriate now to my sound with the new name. Chloe's varied DJ sets have been the staples of Fabric, Outlook Festival and The Warehouse Project. She started the label and platform Pretty Weird, which has been home to Chimpo, Silky and Nikki Nair. As you're about to hear, we discuss the potential hindrances of becoming a multi-genre DJ. We chatted about Chloe's experience growing up on Psytrance, and you'll hear all about Chloe's first steps into production. I hope that you have a wonderful listen to Chloe Robinson on RA's Exchange. You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange, and we welcome Chloe Robinson. Hello. Hi. Should we say that you were formerly known as Barely Legal? Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't done an announcement or anything, but I've basically announced it's it. It's on Twitter, guys. Keep yeah, up. no, I have announced it. I was, I wasn't sure how to announce it, mm. and then it just sort of organically happened. Mm. Well, we'll talk about that and many more things over the course of our chat today. But um, let's hear a bit about your experience of lockdown, I think, to start off. Um, what was your sort of personal journey like with lockdown? You know, having all your work taken away, where did you go from there? So I think the most difficult part was the start because it was it was basically us people in music that kind of lost our work first. And it was the unknown that is still kind of there. Um, but yeah, I think it was that unknown. And then it was sort of like losing my shows on a daily basis and then waking up every day to that negative news and it wasn't like all at once like summer's cancelled it was sort of month by month show by show and it was that was before we were getting told that we'd have any support from the government for self-employment and then I started panicking and thinking about because I don't I can't I don't really have the option of going home so I was thinking, like, my rent was quite expensive. In London? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm from Birmingham, but I don't think it would have been a good idea to go back to Birmingham. <laughs> Even though I do love you, Mum, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was the hardest part, I think. Um, and then sort of going through that. And then I, like, lost a couple of, like, friends around that time as well. Um, and then, like weirdly grieving but not being able to be around anyone and my house situation was quite uncomfortable I was sort of living with like people that had newly moved in that I wasn't really working with so Mm. that was all quite a lot and then 
and then they sort of like loosened up the restrictions and then I was going able to go sit in a park for example yeah that brief and chapter yeah and um that helped definitely being able to sort of socialize again and then when did I do yeah and then I managed to move out of my house and my best friend from school who lives in London but I've known her since I was 11 she moved into a like guardianship place in Shoreditch and it's basically this massive pub and it's five bedrooms and it was just her and her boyfriend so god bless her I stayed with her for three months and then I moved to Mexico (laughs) yeah I was I basically booked a flight to Mexico and didn't really say bye to anyone or tell anyone because I was getting into a bit of a dark headspace again that was around October and yeah just, just this is before everyone was going to Tulum and <laughs> doing their weird parties and stuff so yeah I went to Mexico on my wands and lived there for a while and had you been there before no never been no Moved there. wow it's bold well it was open wasn't it so mm. it was the one place you could kind of go and then and then all the all the plague graves started and all that kind of stuff and I kind of wanted to get away from all that. And were you was that exactly where you were? Yeah, I moved to like I moved to Tulum because I had one friend there, but I didn't even really see her. Um, and then I moved like an hour from Tulum when all that was going on because it was just not really what I wanted to be around, not really what I was there for. Um, and I didn't really agree with what was going on. And then I moved to Colombia for another for a few months after that. Whereabouts? Um, I went to like Medellin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever pronounced that. Medellin. Yes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, but then I was just in lockdown for the whole of Colombia. Ah, okay. But that was fine. Um, it was a strict lockdown though. It wasn't when I first got there, but yeah, I was basically in lockdown in Colombia. But um, that was fine. It was it was kind of open in the daytime, and then there was like evening curfews, so you weren't allowed out your house between Friday and Sunday, and then like five p.m. to seven a.m. You oh, had wow. to be in your house, but you could go out in the day, and things were open and stuff. Mm. And did that kind of suit the lifestyle that you'd built for yourself over there? Um, I didn't really build any sort of. Life. <laughs> I really just took it as time out, and I didn't mm. take. I didn't put any pressure on myself to be too productive. Um, I was doing mixes just like for different platforms and I have got my rinse show and stuff. So I had stuff to kind of keep me going, but not give myself too much work to do. Um, It was literally just take this as time off and Mm. just you'll never have it again and you'll never be able to go move somewhere with your job like that for so long yeah yeah and then I got back on the first of July and isolated Mm -hmm. and yeah I'm free now now this must be one of your first ventures outdoors yeah, no, my my first venture was yesterday, actually. I went to White City House for roast. Oh, nice. And skipped the football because I don't watch football, which was quite nice because the roads were clear. Yeah, it was stressful. 
All right, so that's a little bit about sort of what's been going on for you recently. I'd love it if you'd take us all the way, all the way back to your earliest memory that you can think of connected to sound or music. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure what my earliest, earliest is, but I have quite a lot of interesting early ones. Um, I definitely got my influences from my mum. My mum was like a massive garage head and she's a massive rover. So um, she used to play garage all the time in the house till quite late when I was trying to go to bed in primary school. And I hated it. I hated garage. I was like, oh, just because I associated it, I just I just found it annoying. And then by the age of about seven or eight, I was like, yeah, I'm feeling it. <laughs> and then... Um, once I got a bit older, about nine, ten, she took me to a couple of weird kind of parties. Her friends used to throw parties. One of her best friends was um a side trance DJ. He used to go and they play in like Japan and stuff. She doesn't like side trance, but their parties are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to one. It was they'd hired out a mansion in some forest in Wales, and um. Me and that DJ son, must have been about 10, were just rolling around in Heelys, like selling people double vodka rebels. They must, these people must have been off their face as well, but I had no idea. Probably had a bit of an idea. Um, and yeah, I went to Glastonbury a couple of years in a row as well as a child. Child? Like probably 9, 10, 11. It's not really child um and yeah I guess yeah I guess that those are my kind of memories of sort of dance music Mm -hmm. yeah you were soaking it all up yeah and then when did you have a go at DJing um I think I was nine twenty twenty I think or 19 it was my second year of uni 20 because I did not I did a foundation degree between my levels. Yeah, 20. Um, and that was... That was basically me being a raver and just being out on my ones all the time. And going what city? London. Okay. Yeah, I got. I've, I moved to London in 2009. So I, I was so lucky. I got to be there for that, that whole sort of dubstep movement and then future garage and plastic people um and yeah and also I knew like the early boiler room team so I I went to like all the boiler rooms so I got to see like every amazing person just for free which is sick um and then one of my friends who was a DJ who is a DJ told me that I kind of needed a hobby because I I was just going out and just getting too waved and I didn't really like my degree. And I had a part-time job that was just sort of like, you used to work in Harrods, but it was just for money. And they were like, you need an identity. And I was already collecting records and stuff. So they encouraged me to buy some Technics. And I was like, okay. And I spent my rent money on Technics and had to borrow. I'd never like ran out of money before. I had to kind of borrow some money off my auntie. Um, and that was a good investment. And then I started recording some mixes 
um, just just for fun. It was it was genuinely just a hobby, and yeah, that's when I started. Me, I just kind of taught myself. Mm. And do you remember your first gig with people there? Um, yeah, I do actually. It was at the Alibi. Oh, ah. yeah. Um, we should tell everyone. So the Alibi is kind of shut down now, but it was like in Dalston on the strip it was a very popular location and I feel like the crowd there were very open-minded musically yeah yeah they were um but I was billed as Chloe because the promoter refused to bill me as my formerly known name uh barely legal so that's quite jokes um and yeah I think that was my first gig and there were a few people still there so that was fun. Mm-hmm. It, well, it, th- I say a few people there. It's like I think there were just people there who were just like having a drink because <laughs> it was quite early. <laughs> it wasn't even in the part where they had the DJ. It was like by the bar. By the bar. <laughs> nice. Um, did you encounter that a lot? Like people not wanting to build the name Barely Legal? Um, yeah. I remember my first ever fabric booking which was, when did I say I started DJing when I was 20? Which was, my first fabric booking, I believe, was like maybe only a year and a half into me like mixing, which is like amazing. I think I, I was always at fabric and I knew the team quite well. And I was just like quite, oh my God, book me kind of thing. But well, not, not like begging it kind of thing. But um. Yeah, I got my I got an email from I think Dave Gamble, who used to like be like the booker there under Sean. And it was like, Hey, do you wanna warm up room one? And I was like, Oh my god, yeah. And then they started booking me every couple of months and stuff. That was sick. So <laughs> so I got there and then Sean Roberts, who was the manager there at the time, I went and said thank you for booking me and he said I won't book you again until you change the DJ name. Oh, an ultimatum. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then obviously he did. Um, I think it might have held me back from quite a few book from quite a few bookings, but I'm not aware of all of the ones. But yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> I think it's definitely held me back from a couple of things, mm. but. I've done okay out of it. Yeah, you've done pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I never, I've never liked the name, and I did try and change the Why name. Why did you go for it? Because it was all just a bit of fun, mm. and the name. There was a reasoning behind the name. It was to do with like looking young and mm. stuff. And it was some nickname someone gave me when I was like on my 16th birthday. So maybe it was a bit sinister, but I didn't realise. And then, yeah, I didn't realise the sexual connotations until people brought it up so yeah I did try and change it but I'd kind of gotten a following from that name so promoters weren't winning to bill me under the name I tried to change it to all right and now you stripped it back to your name um how does it feel yeah it feels really good it was do you know what it was something that I've wanted to do for a while and it's it's quite a daunting thing to change your name because there's that whole fear of oh like 
what if a promoter doesn't want to book you because they're not confident that people are going to know you under that name but that's kind of why I went for my actual name because in all my interviews I always ask to be referred to as my actual name and then aka barely legal or the other way around so I feel like a lot of my followers know my name anyway and all promoters know my name so it was I yeah and that way it's not a rebrand as well it was my manager that brought it up he kind of said like during the pandemic how would you feel about changing your name and he he thought that I was going to take it really badly and he was really relieved when I was like yeah I'm totally on it um and it's yeah it's been less daunting than I thought it would be so maybe more like a smooth thing that happens over time yeah nice um so are you seeing it as like a refresh a rebrand or are you just taking forward your favorite elements of your previous alias um yeah definitely wouldn't see it as a rebrand because I'm not doing anything differently um I am seeing it as a fresh slate in terms of how people perceive what I play I mean I came through playing grime and garage when I first started DJing years ago and drum and bass after that and UK funky and just like bassy music and like yeah dubstep and stuff and now I've for the last four years I feel I've definitely just been playing like much more sort of techno and electro and that kind of sound and it's quite hard for people to know kind of what I play because I've kind of gone from one sound and one world to another I would say that the worlds are quite different and quite far apart from each other even though they actually do cross over people kind of segregate them quite a bit so uh, I feel like my old name is heavily associated with bass music and I'm hoping that I will be on lineups that are more appropriate now to my sound mm-hmm. with the new name. Yeah, I saw your tweet about um, like you were asking your followers if they think there's disadvantages to being like a multi-genre DJ. Yeah. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that and some of the responses that you had back I can't remember why I tweeted that but it ended up being quite an in-depth discussion I think I had to actually end up muting the whole <laughs> thread because it was just going a bit mad yeah what I took from it was that a lot of people say that it will hinder you on a business level mm. and and these were mostly other DJs replying yeah and then I started to realise that I don't I don't kind of look at my career as like how much money can I make? How mm. can I how can I make the most revenue in a year kind of thing? Because that's almost like playing a game, isn't it? And build, having a business model whereas I kind of do this for, for like for the love of it kind of thing. Obviously I want to make money from it because I want to be able to live and live comfortably um but yeah a lot of people were saying in it that it hinders you and that you won't really get to the sort of like level that you the highest level you can get to without having a straight path Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'm basically never going to stop being a multi-genre DJ. That was my take from it. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of interested to see like whether people saw a quite negative view of it. Mm. I was hoping people might be a bit more open-minded after the pandemic. Um, I I just remember I just remember so well going to clubs and it you know like and just listening to sets of so many different like sounds and everyone was there just like using their ears you know what I mean and there were no phones involved I don't think Instagram's a thing or Snapchat or any of that stuff and I I I, I kind of hope that there'll be more dancing and more listening and less phones when we come out the back of this mm, yeah I saw Fabric is saying no phones in the club yeah I think that's great um I think that's a good start for sure mm. Well, yeah, your tweet was very popular. Lots of people were <laughs> yeah. sharing their thoughts. I think it was a really good um, conversation starter. I noticed there was some sort of thoughts around bass as a genre and how that's kind of run into difficulty and has been sort of used as a term to that sort of end up holding people back. Yeah. Especially in terms of like class and race. Yeah, I agree. Bass seems to, from what I was reading from the um, replies to your tweet, Bass seems to be a genre that's been a little bit alienated by promoters. Yeah. I feel like my name is heavily associated with bass too. And I feel like bass... I, I don't... I, I feel like... I, I, like I said, I feel like there's, there's two separate worlds and there's quite a lot of division between bass DJs and then you're like house and techno world. Mm-hmm. And... I think there's a massive crossover, so do you know what I mean? Like a lot of like housey tunes are garage, and it's bass is such a broad term. You've got you've got drum and bass, you've got bass line, you've got grime. Do you know what I mean? They're so different from one one another, um, and I feel like a lot of people from the other world see it as quite a negative term. Um, but yeah, I remember. I remember. So yeah, I I definitely like. I was a time when I was playing. I was a time when I was on a lot of when I was with an agency and I was being put on a lot of lineups where I was making a lot of money, but I was sort of the constant support acts for like other people on the roster. And those are the names that I then became associated with quite like quite closely, and they weren't really the right sound for me. And when you're gone, when you're done, it is a great way to build a smaller artist. But when you feel like you're a bit past that, it sort of hinders you. And I remember I started to feel like I didn't enjoy DJing. I was going, I was working, and. I was sort of just there and everyone was waiting for the headline act. And that's when I kind of decided, like, I kind of need to change things up. Like, I need maybe, like, a new agent. <clears throat> I'm not doing the lineups I want to. Um, I'm getting associated with kind of sounds that I don't feel are right for me, but I'm making, like, good money. 
And then that's how I kind of knew as well, like I'm definitely not in it for the money. Do you know what I mean? Like I, the changeover was quite rough. There was quite a lot of politics involved and. In terms of moving agent? Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and moving management. And it wasn't as smooth as I thought it'd be. And it was quite hard work. And um, it was definitely for the best because I then I then felt more in control of what I was doing. And um, I think that was around the time when I started doing my own parties because then I could, it, I mean, it's not, it wasn't easy to always book, the, to always get a yes from people I was trying to book, but I could then start curating lineups that I wanted to be on. <laughs> so it was just like being on lineups that I wanted to be on by making them myself kind of thing. And then sort of building it that way. Mm. Well, we're going to hear all about Pretty Weird in a second. But before we do, I was just curious about the sort of artists and management thing. I feel like a lot of young and new DJs believe that you have to have an agent and you have to have a manager in order to get anywhere. Do you think that's true? No. I had an agent from quite early, I feel. I think the first couple of years I did, I did it myself, then I had an agent. Um... It wasn't until I had a bigger agent who had the power to sort of get me on those festival circuits because that's what the agent before was lacking. Like they were really good with club shows and my summers just weren't what they should have been. I wasn't on those lineups for festivals that I should have been on. Um, And that agent was like, a really like important part of my journey in terms of breaking me into that circuit and then once you're in that circuit and you kind of show up and you're professional and if you do well then you get kind of rebooked kind of thing and I think a lot of I think a lot of bookers do I do think that sometimes that there needs to be a bit more variation and it is very similar bookings per year but I think that there's also an aspect of promoters wanting to book artists that they like as people as well and that they know will come and be professional and do a good job and kind of have a connection with the festival that the people that go to the festival every year have you know I mean like enjoy yeah um but I don't yeah I I do think there is a necessity once you get to a certain point because I definitely undervalue myself so I need, I do need an an agent to sort of throw numbers around because I would definitely be undervaluing myself, I think, otherwise. Um, Management, that was when I saw a big change as well when I got my first manager though. That was was when I started kind of um, being able to do like having more of an image. He had a sort of image for me and he got me doing a lot more like branded work and stuff like brands that I like which I wouldn't have got into without him um but then it became a bit more of their image than my image and then that's when I had to like do the whole crossover um 
but yeah now I feel quite comfortable with my management and I feel like I'm definitely with the right people which is good Mm, definitely and as you grow as an artist you're going to grow out of people and institutions I guess yeah but I think I think there's there's some there's some people out there that really don't need managers and there's definitely managers that are there and they see you as something they can make money from or they see you as something they believe in and they want you to grow so I think it's important to make sure that you you, I mean if you're in it for the money as well then you know go for that manager that wants to make money but if you're in it for sort of like the passionate reasons then make sure that you're going with the right person kind of thing Mm. And do you know what people can look for? Is it like someone who understands your vision? Yeah, and I think it's someone that doesn't have their own vision that they want to kind of push you into and persuade you like, yeah, this is the right thing. Let's hear about Pretty Weird. So when did you want to start your own night slash label? Uh, Do you know what? I feel like I wanted to do a label years ago. Um, Like back when I was one extra resident, which was like the really early days. Um, Because what I really enjoyed about having my residency one extra was sort of giving people their first radio plays and finding new artists and kind of playing like new fresh kind of yeah new artists and like finding new music um and I feel like I gave quite a lot of people who are even doing work really well at the moment like their first radio play and like how excited it would make them kind of thing and um they're people that I kind of still have relationships with now and we still support and stuff. And like that was just a nice feeling, like just that sort of feeling. I guess it's sort of like A&Ring, right? Um, so, yeah, I guess it, I guess f- from then, I, it was always sort of, it was never an idea, but it was always something that I thought that I would kind of enjoy. Um, and then I was meant to start the label ages ago and the first release, it didn't, it, yeah, it did block because I was doing a release with when, cause I, I used to play when's music ages ago and I had a P and D deal with a distribution company. And they took like six months to finalize a contract, which still wasn't right. So like by the time it was kind of all there and ready, I think it's time to Big Dada, which is amazing. But it was like, he wasn't allowed to release any music. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, And then, and then I think- So that one never came out? No. But, like, there's definitely interviews of me talking about that, like, <laughs> that release. I'm like, I think I'm fabricating something else. It's quite funny, but those things happen. Um, I then decided I'm just going to go and do a digital kind of 
label for now because it's easier <laughs> and it's just yeah it's just like so like a lot of money you have to put into it as well like and a lot of time I didn't really I don't feel like I've really had the knowledge and like the support yet for like to do that so um I definitely haven't been consistent with my label releases though um how old is the label I don't know <laughs> I don't know does it count it's just like is it as old as when I tried to do the one release do you know what I mean like if it is it's quelled <laughs> um but yeah I've I've got like my I've, I've done all the masters and stuff for my next forthcoming release which is gonna come out mid-August so that's exciting very exciting can you share any info um yeah Ooh. so it's so it's it's a release from Alex, DJ ADHD, mm-hmm. who has been making tunes with me, kind of helping me learn. Um, but yeah, just his music. Nice. And how would you describe the ethos of the label side of things? Um, no rules. Um there's no consistent sounds no can it i mean there's no consistency altogether really no, <laughs> do you know what i mean um but yeah with the parties as well i think they definitely the label was also kind of done because i wanted my own brand which could become an umbrella brand where i could then throw like parties to curate festival lineups boat parties whatever and they were like my future goals for that label merchandise um it was I didn't want it to be strictly a label um and I didn't want something that was like my name as well like I wanted something to be like my thing but just like under another name and then obviously I started doing my label parties but they're not label parties essentially they're just parties under the brand um, so I think I'll just call it a brand, like, and part of the brand is that it's a record label and the parties were kind of a representation of the fact that they were like a good mixture of different sounds and different genres and different artists. Um, and, um, quite, incl- I'd like to say it was like, a, my last talk was very inclusive as well. Like I didn't even realize, but it was pretty, pretty much fifty-fifty, like females and males, um, and that was like unintentional. I was just booking people that I rated. Um, a lot of like old school names, mainly from like the drum and bass scene, and then a lot of sort of like new names who were coming through and stuff, which was nice. So it was, it was nice to sort of bring those two together for sure. And have you sort of refocused the aspirations of Pretty Weird or are you still thinking boat parties, festival lineups? Um, I'm still thinking that. Yeah. So <laughs> so I um I've I've done a couple of festival lineups already. Um I did one at NAS Festival, which was they they kind of directed me as to what they wanted with that one, which was um they wanted it to be a kind of one forty sound, so I had like T-Double, Novelist, Prez T, 
um, the Sicaria sound girls. Is that how you say their name? Yeah. I always feel like I'm saying people's names wrong. I had um, Madame X, One Man. Um, so that was fun. And then I did another stage at Lunch Meat Festival in Prague with Jensen, Interceptor and TSVI. And yeah, just before the pandemic, I had like my strongest lineup to date. This was for SW4, which was, which was going to be really good. It was, um, it was Goldie and then it was Kink doing a jungle set. And it was um, Maya Jane Coles doing a Nocturnal Sunshine set. And then it's Fabio Groove Rider doing a Rage set. Randall doing an Acid House set. And then Jossie, Mitsu and me. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so good. And it never happened. Um, but I just had to say that lineup out loud. Amazing Because lineup. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> yeah, that should have happened. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a bit about your productions. Is mm-hmm. producing a new thing? Uh, producing is something that I wasn't willing to do until I felt the time was right. Unwilling. Uh, well, it was sort of like, everyone was like, well, you need to become a producer to get to the next level. And I was like, I will produce when I feel comfortable producing. And I feel like my fear with production was that I, I, ha- I have so many friends that are so talented and I see how much time it takes to get to that level and I didn't want to just sort of like jump in and um, I guess there was always that fear of people being like, she's not making her own music or she's a girl kind of thing. That, do you know, that sort of like sexist rubbish that we get. And I kind of suddenly, I and then they... Um, the DCYP development grant thing became open, didn't it, this year for DJs? Mm-hmm. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply to see whether I can get any help with um, like financial help towards taking that step from becoming a DJ to producer because I finally feel ready. Well, if I've got the right support around me and the right people helping me. Um, and I got the grant, which is amazing. And so then well, as soon as I knew I got the grant, I was like, I need to start. Like, there's no like sitting around now. I'm, I said I'm going to do it. I've been given the money. Do it. And um, yeah. And I've got like a really similar sound sorry, to Alex, who I, who's been helping me produce and I've been making the tunes with. Um so and he knows exactly what I like so it's and there's and he's been showing me like I've kind of already know Ableton so I I think I'm gonna pick it up really quickly I mean like it's definitely been a 50-50 effort with the tunes we've done so far um he's super patient I'm super bossy and super assertive um and I think that I've got quite a good ear. I'm, am I allowed to say that? Oh, yeah. I'm never very confident about myself, but um, yeah, like I made a lot of decisions with like the sounds that we were using and stuff. Um, I kind of 
found all the samples and whatnot and he sort of helped sort of bring it all together in terms of structure mm -hmm. because I would have just been there clicking like <laughs> okay how do I do this <laughs> like um I also was just like learning kind of I mean, all the tunes are just sort of like a 909 drum machine sort of vibe anyway. So the structure sort of already kind of there for you. And then you sort of, I've sort of just adapted it. And I think it's, I think you can definitely hear my, all my sort of influences in the tunes. So they're quite uh, techno driven, but you can hear like elements of grime, you can hear elements of like dubstep and stuff in them, which I quite like. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think we're just setting up a studio now. Um, Cause I've only kind of got, just got out of isolation and then I'm gonna get straight back on it. Amazing. And did you have particular inspiration when you were going into making this first project? Um. Mm, I mean, there wasn't much to do during the pandemic. <laughs> so it was literally just like YouTube crate digging for ages, mm. like quite enjoyably. And just go, <laughs> I'd just like think of a tune that I liked that was a bit like obscure. And then I'd click on it, and then you can find on YouTube what playlist it's in and then I'll find a good playlist and then I'll go through the playlist and I'll sort of like go through like probably thousands of tunes and then just like sort of create dig that way also I was just sort of like doing nothing else <laughs> and I just realized that every tune that I kind of liked was like a drum machine tune and I, I don't like melodies either so like it's good. <laughs> I don't like melodies I don't like piano sounds I don't really like much so it was quite easy for me to know what kind of sound I was going to come out with. And I like kind of weird wonky sounds as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that helped me decide like what kind of stuff I was going to come out with. Nice. And do you expect there'll be more collaborations with DJ ADHD on the way? Yeah, for sure. Because he's definitely, and he's like helping me as well like, with learning and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think we work quite well together. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're like, we're kind of just like using his equipment as well at the moment. So yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, I think soon I'll be able to like know how to use Ableton myself, like completely fully, but I think it's going to take me a few months for sure. That sounds quick. Oh, I'm ready. Oh. <laughs> I'm ready and I can I can sit and do something for hours if I'm into it. I can hyper focus. <laughs> yeah, well, looking forward to that Ableton <laughs> deep dive. Um, so DJ ADHD, how do you feel about that name? <laughs> um, I don't know, me and him have been discussing whether it's appropriate or not. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we both just... He's, he's actually like... He's actually producers under the name like alexander like a l x z basically without the no vowels that's the one um and he makes sort of like he makes everything but under that name he's does a lot of like 140 stuff he's got like a 
release on Deep Maddie coming up, which is cool. Um, I think that's in October. But this was going to be his more like techno focused stuff. Um, we're still thinking about that. <laughs> I mean, I I just like the way it sounds, but like I don't know. I don't really know if it's appropriate or not. <laughs> no, no one said anything. <laughs> No one said anything so far. But no, I was just wondering how you felt about it. And maybe you could share a bit about your ADHD journey so far. Especially curious to hear about how it may have like shaped your relationship to music, if at all. Um, I feel like it's... I mean, it was something that I... I, I'm, I feel... I, d- I don't really know like how I knew what it was, but I'm because it's only really been spoken about in the last couple of years on social media and stuff. But I have very early memories of telling my mom, mom, <laughs> I've, I've got this from like early school days. Um, I went to grammar school, so I wasn't very hard to be naughty, but I was like the naughtiest in my year. And I was in detentions like every week, got suspended loads was very disruptive, could not focus. Um, I, I'm really good with deadlines though. If you give me a deadline, I'll get it done. But I, prior to that, I, I'll wait till the last minute. Um, I don't really think, I don't really think it's had any sort of, I haven't, I haven't noticed it in music. I've only noticed it in social environments. So the pandemic was quite a weird one because you're kind of stuck in your own head and you're sort of noticing all these things about your mind and the way you think um, because you're not doing anything else. So I think I think prior prior between like doing my last exams at school and the pandemic, I kind of maybe just assumed that I've. I I always have to apologise for butting into conversations and stuff like that. Or like, you could be talking to me and I could be looking at you in the eye. But something you said, I've suddenly started thinking about it. And then I have to apologise and say, I've missed the last couple of seconds of what you said kind of thing. But apart from that, I haven't really noticed it have an effect on my music kind of journey at all. Is the hyper-focusing that you were mentioning related um yeah yeah I guess so I would really love to hear about anything that you've I mean I've seen quite a few like positive mental health initiatives popping up throughout the music industry and I was just wondering if there's anything that you've noticed that you might like to share with us um I know about this has been going on for a while though. I think it's called Get Ahead, and I think it's like the AI team that do it. Who are like is it AI who do like um UKF and drum and bass wars and stuff? I think it's like that team. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is. And I know they do like they've done in the last couple of years a few festivals and they've had like panel talks and stuff and that's all related to music and mental health and then um a friend of mine Jess Bays who's part of the defected team um she's become an ambassador recently for um 
an app called Hidden Strength UK, which I think is targeted for like the younger age and it's and I haven't really looked into it, but it's about mental health. I know that she's done um I think she did that first interview with Hannah Wants and um it's not just for like musicians and stuff, but it's that that's kind of there for like I know I know Jess Bays as well, like has quite a lot of struggles with mental health so she's and she, she's really positive and she kind of she deals with it and she's very open about it on social media so um I saw that one that's really recent I think that's only been launched in the last couple of months wonderful I'll check those out um so now that you're here you're in London you've completed your quarantine what are your hopes for this phase of reopening um I I think I've got a similar view to most people, which is that, yes, a lot. So, <laughs> but also, it's it seems a bit weird that there's no, um, that they're trying to say that there's no need for testing. And it's kind of on the people that go to the parties to be responsible and to do like a rapid test before they go. Um, I I mean I I noticed today that they've speeded up the gap between the two jabs, so it was like eight weeks, and now it's four, because I've only just come back, so I've only just had my first jab. I'm like eight weeks. It's like if if festivals and shows do go ahead, like I want to be double jabbed. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm glad that they've they've tightened the gap there. Um. But yeah, like I really hope it goes ahead. I've, I've, it's at the, tw- yeah, we've kind of find out today whether it's like certain. Um, but yeah, there's just that, that small fear that people don't, people don't do it safely. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think we can trust the ravers on this one. It's the same as like drinking responsibly. Like obviously not everyone's going to follow it, but hopefully most people will. Yeah. And I'm, 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 yeah, it's it's definitely out of time. We've been so patient. Yeah. And I feel like we haven't, we haven't bended the rules. There's been, there's been a few illegal parties, but I think the majority of people have really, really been patient with this. So mm-hmm. It's definitely our time. Mm. Is there anywhere that you're really looking forward to going or playing in particular? Um, warehouse projects. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm doing two this year. But um, yeah, I'm going back to back with special requests, which is super exciting and a bit overwhelming. <laughs> and I'm doing that under my new name. Um, that's that I'm really looking forward to. And that's in room one. Which is like I feel like room one in the new Wales project is like ten thousand cap. I don't know if it is that much, but I feel like room three is three thousand cap. Mm-hmm. So like it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's that I'm really looking forward to. And there's a couple of others, but they're not announced yet. Mm-hmm. And how about goals for Pretty Weird as things open up and and hopefully go back to how it was before? Um. Yeah, definitely working on doing a few more tours. Like I, I usually do a tour yearly, and it's usually in like the last quarter of the year. Um, I think, 
like my manager helps me quite a lot with that because he's like an ex-agent so he's like really good at he's really good with that side of things and he's got really good connects with um promoters and clubs and stuff because it's kind of the way that we do it we work with promoters so I don't I'm not trying to make like ticket sales I'm just that's them and then I just have a budget and I just have my fee and they have their fees kind of thing um so it's just about finding promoters that are willing to sort of like work with me and work trust like who we book kind of thing or we find a kind of medium um but we're working we're kind of working backwards on it so we're kind of working 2022 backwards which kind of makes the most sense I think um but yeah I um I, I yeah I don't really know where I'm at with that yet, but there's definitely lots of discussions happening. So um yeah, and then I've obviously got my next release coming out. Um, not my release, but um Alex's in August, which will be cool. Which has had some like good support so far, considering I've I I've, I do my own PR now. I'm just like. I'll just send it out to people. I think it gets a better response. Um, I've locked in some premieres and stuff, so that's good. And I'd like to be a bit more consistent with the label. Maybe it'd be cool to maybe put like one or two of my tracks out as well on the label. Um, I'm not. I've not got any. I've not really got any idea of what I'm going to do with the tracks that I've done so far. Um, but I don't want to rush. I've had some I've had some people like ask about releasing them, but I don't want to rush that. I kind of want to take my time. I sent them to Kieran Fortet and he was like really really yeah, he did a tweet saying they're the best club tracks he's heard all year and I was wow. like Oh my god! Um, but yeah, he gave me some advice in the email and said, um, "Think carefully about like who you release with, and just take your time with it, and don't rush into anything because like you'll there's definitely going to be some interest there." So I'm just taking his advice because I trust him. <laughs> oh well, that is a strong person to collect advice from. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of exciting things happening really exciting things ahead for you um and yeah it's just really great to hear about your journey today so chloe robinson thank you so much thank you for having me thank you for listening to ra's exchange with chloe robinson i'll have a new episode for you next week until then, our full archive is available for you to take in. And if you find something you love, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts as it helps get our stories to more ears. Hold up. 